29 Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Metters. Welcome to the Acts 29 Podcast, another resource to help church planters and church leaders all around the world. You know, we can't plant healthy gospel-centered churches to, to the glory of God without emotionally healthy planters. This is why the Acts 29 Network, we are serious about pastoral care. And also in his new book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, author Scott Souls is serious about this too. And he's provided really a field guide on finding freedom from regret, hurt, and fear, and discovering joy, relief, and hope as you become the beautiful human God created you to be. Scott is the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church there in Nashville, Tennessee, and he's previously pastored in New York City at Redeemer Presbyterian. He's also planted and pastored churches in Kansas City and St. Louis. Scott is married to Patty, and then they have two daughters. Well, Scott, welcome to the Acts 29 podcast, brother. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be with you. Yeah, it's good to have you, man. I was just in Nashville recently where we assessed, I think, eight church planters. It was a beautiful time in a beautiful city, and so here we go. The Nashville connection continues. Fabulous. Where'd you guys do that? Uh, was that Emmanuel? Oh, is that Emmanuel? Okay, so so you had you probably had a chance to visit some of the the newer uh, trendy restaurants and uh, yes, TJ and and crew show you the town a little bit. I hope. Yeah, yeah, we got to walk to some really nice coffee shops, and then we ate at and my my family we're big Food Network fans, mm-hmm. and so Manit Chohan, the dancing spice oh, queen yeah. of Food Network. We ate at her restaurant, which yeah. is on Charlotte Avenue. It's fabulous. Uh, oh, it was so good. Yeah. It was wonderful. So I love Nashville. I love being there. And it, it's great to have you on the show. Uh, and for listeners out there who maybe don't know you, you know, we have listeners all around the world. We have a lot of, I was just telling a, a former recording guest, I was in Ireland and they were all listening to the show, all the pastors, X29 guys there and in Europe, Australia. And so maybe people are meeting and hearing you for the very first time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and especially people love to hear how you became a Christian and then a pastor and church planner too. Sure. So, uh, I did not grow, grow up, um, with any exposure really to, uh, the gospel, any direct exposure anyway. And, uh, first heard the gospel as a high school senior from a staff member for what was then Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now Crew. It was their, uh, I guess, their high school ministry. And and so that was when the seeds were first planted, and it it stirred up some intrigue and a little bit of, um, you know, curiosity and conversations, but didn't really uh, take until about four years later when I was about to graduate college and was going through a bit of an existential crisis. Um, You know, I look back and you know, see myself as kind of an Ecclesiastes kid where, um, you know, didn't really have a whole lot of things in my life falling apart, uh, uh, per se. And, and, um, you know, had had a a fairly, you know, comfortable upbringing and, and yet, uh, found myself, uh, um, in a bit of a, what am I here for? Uh, why do I exist? What's the purpose of life? Uh, everything feels so meaningless, you know. And uh, in retrospect, as an Enneagram 4, I can understand why I <laughs> was responding to the world <laughs> in that way. Um, kind of the tortured artist personality. Um, and uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, I mean, as the Lord often does, he surrounded me with a group of friends who were Christians who just started inviting me into environments where where the gospel was talked about and, and sometimes taught. And, 
Um, and uh, about that time, a, a relationship that um, that I was counting on to um, turn into marriage ended, uh, and that sort of sent me into kind of the next level of a funk, and um, and that was sort of the the um, the soil uh, that 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 uh, the gospel took root in my life uh, inside of, and and uh, just you know, from the very beginning was so enthusiastic and drawn to Christ, to the local church, to, you know, anything Christian I could get my hands on. And, and, and so really, uh, Jeff, at, at almost the same time I was converted was also the time where I started to experience this, this draw or this pull toward the question, what would a life in vocational ministry uh, look like? Now, it was a, a little bit of a scary thought, because, um, you know, there were two subjects that I'd always struggled with in, you know, just a school setting. And one was public speaking, uh, which just terrified me. And the other was writing. Um, I, I would always get writer's <laughs> block anytime I would try to write something or be assigned an essay or whatever. And so, um, you know, in the providence and, and grace of God, those are the two things I do most in, in what I've yeah. been called to do. And so... Um, so that's kind of the long version of the short version uh, of, of the story. But, but my call to the ministry came about the same time as my call into the family of God. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it just seems like God has a way of doing that. I have heard from so many pastors and friends of mine that hated talking in public, that w- were willing to take a grade less on a project in school, if they could deliver it from their chair and not stand up in front of everybody. I mean, just God loves to do these things. It's, uh, it's pretty hilarious at times. Well, well, as we get into the book, um, your, your brand new book, and you've got many books out there that listeners should go and, and find and go grab on, on Amazon. But on the back of the book, it's getting lots of encouragement, lots of praise for really how, obviously how well, you know, how, how well written the book is, but really how vulnerable and personal your writing is. And so I wonder, Scott, if you would just be willing to share a little bit about your own emotional health journey with our listeners, where you could be that vulnerable in a book. Yeah, well, I think that's part of the process is being willing to talk about um, our regrets and our hurts and, and our fears, which are, are sort of the three pain points uh, around which the book's content is organized, uh, right? So the book is is really aimed at speaking to the regret and the hurt and the fear that uh, I think everybody at, at one point or another in varying degrees experiences and wonders, you know, what's the meaning and purpose of all this. And, and so my own journey involves, you know, what I've already shared of, of being sort of having that sort of early in life Ecclesiastes experience where, um, you know, had success, had, um, you know, had seasons where you know everything I touched as an athlete seemed to go well, and and had friends and all the rest, and and yet um, ju- it just wasn't working. You know, I, I it, had Tom Brady been you know a quarterback back then, I would have really resonated with his interview where he said, you know, I've I've achieved all this success and all of my dreams, and I'm married to one of the world's most beautiful models and, you know, $86 million a year between us in income. And I still think there's got to be more. I mean, I was, I was mm-hmm. that kid. Um, but later on, um, you know, after I became a Christian, after I 
kind of grew up a little bit, uh, got married, had kids, uh, you know, started adulting and got into ministry. And I imagine there, there are probably quite a few of your listeners, Jeff, who are, who are in vocational ministry who understand that uh, it's not an easy calling. Uh, you know, Paul Tripp yeah. said it's, it's a dangerous calling. Spurgeon said if you can imagine yourself doing anything else uh, besides being a pastor, then do that, um, you know, and spare yourself of, of all the challenges that, that are associated with being on the front lines of ministry, which God loves and the devil hates. And so you're always mm. kind of at war. Um, and so during certain seasons of life and ministry, I've actually experienced uh, – um, you know, notable levels of anxiety and depression uh, has not occurred uh, much recently, but but there have been seasons, Jeff, where I've been literally flattened, where where I felt like I, I couldn't even get out of bed, and you know, it was it was kind of this double whammy where I didn't want to get out of bed on the one hand, but I also was afraid of going to bed at night uh, because I knew that I wouldn't be able to sleep. And, and so, it, you know, got into this vicious spiral, especially during one season where I lost over 35 pounds and, and um, you know, just didn't see any way out of it. It just felt like an abyss. And, and, and I think that season especially triggered this whole, you know, kind of mental health and emotional health conversation uh, between my wife and I. And, and you know, we, we just started to you know, surround ourselves with people who, you know, had wisdom and, and experience in, in that space. And, and it's become a bit of a theme for me, uh, just personally, uh, but also pastorally, I, I'm, I'm really drawn toward sinners and sufferers and, and, Mm. um, you know, not, not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not repelled by it. I don't avoid it. I, I, I really, you know, am motivated to kind of dive into, um, the darker, you know, more painful uh, places with people because, you know, I I think that just by virtue of my own experience and struggles over the years, I've got something to say, you know, and I'm able to show up now for those people that in ways that other people showed up for me during, during those seasons. And so, you know, this book is sort of a, um, it's an outworking of that and it's a resource that you know i think i say even in the dedication that the the book is dedicated to helpers uh and those that they help you know helpers being pastors uh counselors social workers or even just parents and friends who show up for 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 other people uh who are you know going through their own seasons of regret hurt and fear and so I really wanted the book to be a resource uh, that, that people could use, uh, you know, for their own, you know, journey as well as as they walk with others. But, um, you know, the transparency piece is really essential because, I, you know, I don't think a book about this subject, it, it can only be so credible uh, if the messenger himself or herself hasn't been there, you know, and, and so... I don't want to bleed over all over people. I don't want to overshare to, to the point where it takes attention off of Christ or off of the reader's experience or story. But I felt like with this one, it was important to dive into my own experience with all three of those pain points, hopefully as a bridge uh, where people can yeah. consider what Jesus has to say uh, in those spaces and how he can mend and heal. Yeah, man, there's so much so much there that's so so helpful and i mean already by the title 
of the book. Beautiful people don't just happen. Uh, how God redeems regret, hurt, and fear and make in the making of better humans. And so I think you're saying so much in, in the title. It's a great title. So how did the title come about? And I guess how did the, you know, you've written on a lot of other topics. Um, how did the spirit really move and, and stir in you to want to write on this topic at this time? So, you know, honestly, I, I saw this quote by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and, and she she's she's kind of gushing. You can Google it. If you just Google beautiful people do not just happen, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, it'll it'll pop up on 50 different websites. But, you know, she's she basically says the most solid people that she knows, the most um, lovely people, the most compassionate, merciful people, the people who show up the people who are most spectacular, you know, are the ones who have, have been uh, in a ditch, experienced loss, gone through guilt and shame and, and all the rest and emerged from it, right? And so she's a mental health professional who I think is speaking from a more secular perspective. I don't know um, if she had any sort of faith commitment but her final statement, sort of her conclusion, concluding statement of that whole, um, you know, line of thinking that she shares is that beautiful, beautiful people did not just happen. And, and so I thought that is incredible. Uh, I would love to explore that concept in greater depth. And so, um, you know, I just as I did explore that concept in greater depth, um, you know, a uh, uh, my thoughts just started to organize around those three pain points of regret, you know, just wishing we could change the past, but knowing that we can't, um, you know, hurt whether, whether we've been betrayed or whether, you know, we've made decisions that have brought pain upon ourselves or whether we're just, just, um, you know, suffering the result of living in a fallen world. Uh, and then fear, you know, meditating on worst case scenario, potential worst case scenarios, um, and how the gospel just speaks so powerfully to to all three of those um, states of being, um, you know, it initially was an endeavor just to consider the claims of Christ on my own heart, and then I thought, you know, some of the stuff I'm I'm learning here is just too good not to share, and so I started preaching about it, and you know, I'm always in conversation with if, with, with publishers and 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 people in the book world about a next potential project and this one just kept coming up and mm. ended up doing it so yeah yeah man just as you're talking scott i you know i think it's gonna be so helpful to people these are common human experiences that we have living in a fallen world and how the gospel speaks powerfully right to all of them and i think about i think it's paul's triad of uh grace uh, I think it is grace, hope, and love, but you could do grace, peace, and love. I mean, grace for regrets, uh, peace, and love for our our hurts, um, and then maybe peace and for our, for our fears. Um, just how the gospel speaks. So I, I, I'm excited to read it. Put that on your Amazon wish list and uh, be be prepared um, to read that. Uh, the description of your book talks about practicing, actually doing, and pursuing, and wanting to live in emotional health. Now that word gets used a lot um, in our culture, um, secular culture, Christian culture. What does that mean, really? And and how? Why is it important, especially as church planters and leaders, and people listening to the X One Nine podcast, and Christians in general, uh, to really practice emotional health? 
Oh man, that is a that's a multi layered question. Um, but I th- I think it first starts with recognizing, Jeff, that our emotions are good. They're not bad things, you know. And and you know one of the common criticisms that you hear people make is, why is that person so emotional? Why do you have to mm. be so emotional about this? And you know God's given us. You know, essentially, and this this is from Chip Dodd, uh, counselor friend that I know, um, eight core emotions, right? Um, and, you know, just, just the same that God has given us ears to hear with and taste buds to taste with and, you know, muscles to, you know, give us strength. He's given us emotions. He's given us feelings. And he's given us a prayer book of 150 prayers in the Psalms. Yeah where every single one of those emotions is, is expressed um, boldly uh, as people communicate with God and about God. And, you know, then we, we see people like David who, I mean, he just talk about the full range of human emotion, the yeah. way he lived, you know, as, as, you know, as my friend Chip also says, he lived fully in a tragic place. And, you know, I think emotional health, I think that's a great phrase for, you know, the, the description of emotional health in a fallen world is to learn to live fully uh, in a fallen, tragic world. Um, uh, and, you know, and, and so I think, I think, too, we need to first recognize that emotions themselves are good things. But then secondly, recognize that each emotion has... Uh, uh, a broken expression and a healthy expression. And, and we want to be nurturing the healthy expressions, right? Like anger is one of the emotions that God gives. The Bible in the Psalms and in Ephesians actually commands us to be angry. Be angry and sin not. You know, the original right, language right. is imperative. It's a command. Uh, I'm not sure why most of our English translations say, in your anger don't sin, when it actually says, be angry. Um, you know, in the same way that scripture says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good, right? So, you know, righteous anger has led to all sorts of wonderful things happening in the world. You know, somebody got angry about sickness, and so Christians invented the hospital. Somebody got angry about racial injustice, and, you know, everybody that surrounded, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, um, you know, sought justice uh through peaceful resistance um you know and you could keep going but uh you know there's a righteous kind of anger that attacks problems uh, whereas raging anger which is the unhealthy version attacks people and you know righteous anger always leads to greater flourishing and greater health raging anger always leads to less flourishing and um greater sickness and greater disease and so um, so I think we, we have to you know really discern the the righteous versus unrighteous, the healthy versus unhealthy version of each each emotion, and then you know seek the face of the Lord. Right to 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 yeah. know Christ is to nurture emotional health, uh, to know Him mentally and also viscerally, you know, on that personal emotional level, um, by you know activating those means of grace that God's given us in our lives, right? The word, the, the sacraments, prayer, life in community with the body of Christ, the local church, all of these are, are ways to nurture um, uh, and, and, and set ourselves up, at least in, in environments that, that, that can nurture 
knowing Christ, which will nourish the healthy expressions of, of emotion. Yeah, man, that's so important for, for all of us to remember. I mean, to be, I love what you said, you know, to be emotional. It's like, well, we're human beings. And so of course we're going to have emotions. And I'm, I think especially in kind of the reformed, um, really doctrinally serious uh, pockets of evangelical Christianity is we can put such a high premium on theological accuracy, which we should. Uh, one of our core distinctives and core competencies of church planners in Acts 29 is theological clarity. But we also have spiritual vitality. And so when the Psalms say, worship the Lord with gladness, it actually means gladness. Not just worship the Lord with your stack of reformed dogmatics, but gladness in him over all those things. And so I, I think what you're writing about and calling us to is so pivotal for our full health. Isn't it B.B. Is Warfield that wrote about the emotional life of our Lord? Was, I think it was him. Um, I yeah, can't there's remember. that. And there's also Jonathan Edwards' religious affections. I, I oh, mean, you, yeah. you, could, you could go on and on. Um yeah, our theology is meant to be animated theology. Uh, it, it, it's meant to catch fire. Uh, it's meant to bring life, right? And, and I think you rightly point out the, the vulnerability, the p- potential vulnerability of, of, of having such a heavy emphasis on loving the Lord our God with all of our minds, uh, which, which is essential, as you say, and, and not to be neglected. Um, like one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Charles McGowan, uh, one of my predecessors here too at Christ Pres, um, uh, says that our theology, our doctrine is like the skeleton of our faith. Uh, without the skeleton, the whole body just is a blob, right? Uh, and it's not going anywhere without the skeleton and it's not stable right. without the skeleton. But if, if the main thing that you can, if all you can see or the main thing that you can see uh, about a person is their skeleton. It means they're either malnourished or dead. Um, you know, a skeleton is meant to carry uh, muscle and personality and mm-hmm. um, and vocation and you know all the rest. And and so um, you know, there's there's a life, right? You know, Ezekiel even you know uses that metaphor of, of of the valley of dry bones and and you know those bones are there to to have flesh put on them, right? I, I will give you a heart of flesh, you know, the Lord says. And so there's um, there's a heart, soul, and strength uh, component that goes with the loving the Lord your God with your mind, right? But yeah. we start with the mind. You know, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he talks about, you know, after that, how it all, you know, gets animated and in, in living a life that um, is worthy of, of Christ. And, and so, yeah. um, it's got to all go together. Well, let's, let's think a little bit about the mind and the heart and the struggles that can, can come with the mind and the heart. We know that as Christians, we too can struggle with anxiety, as you mentioned, and, and depression. Um, I remember David Murray has a nice little book called Christians can get depressed too. And so Scott, as Christians, why sometimes do we feel trapped in our mental and emotional health struggles? You know, I think, um, Jeff, it's important to acknowledge that the brain is an organ, just like the heart and just like the liver. And um, a brain can be off, uh, you know, physiologically and chemically. 
uh, it can be um, it can be damaged and affected by the fall or by traumatic injury, um, uh, etc. And so, um, you know, I you know there there are varying degrees of of um, you know thought along the continuum. Um, but I, I think it's a mistake to say that all anxiety and depression, uh, you know, points first and foremost and chiefly to a sin problem in the person's life because right. you know, Paul says, don't be anxious, right? So, so it's a sin problem. Well, um, it, it, it can be uh, a, a sin problem, and, and yet I, I'm not sure anybody would accuse Jesus of, you know, being in sin when he sweated blood uh, from distress in the Garden right. of Gethsemane, begging his father for a different path. I don't think anybody would want to accuse Jesus of, of, of sin um, there. But, but um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, back to us, us fallen creatures, um, you know, the brain can, can go wrong. And so, so I, but, but at the same time, the heart can go wrong as well. Uh, the spiritual life can can go wrong as well, and and we can um, fixate on good things that we turn into ultimate things uh, or idolatry, right? When we when we major on on things that the Lord tells us we should minor in, and we minor in in the the thing, the one thing, um, His beauty, His goodness, His glory that we should be fixating on and majoring in. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I think the, the caregiver's task is especially to, to discern or, or, or at least help the person get in front of people who can help discern how much of this is physiological, uh, you know, psychological as a product of living in a fallen world and having a broken yeah. brain. And how much of this is, man, you've got a, you've got a hardness in your heart uh, right now that, that needs to uh, be... Um, be addressed with the gospel and um, you've got an amnesia about how much Jesus loves you and, and, mm. and, and what flourishing looks like for, for a child of God. And, and, and so uh, it can be mixed. And a lot of times those two things can, can work together, but um, I can't even remember what your question was, but, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, like, like every part of us, the, the brain, uh, our mental life is a com- complicated thing, just like our emotional life is. And, and yeah. it just takes great discernment and great care to, to treat both, both on a spiritual level as well as a, a physiological, uh, level. Yeah. No. Yeah. You answered it. It was kind of a question of, you know, why, why does it happen and why do we feel trapped in it? So I, I think you answered it perfectly by, by saying, Hey, this is just a reality of being in a human body sometimes. And sometimes we feel trapped because our bodies need help or sometimes we're trapped because we need to walk in repentance and it could be one or the other, or it could be both. And you like, I think it doesn't Paul also say, uh, the daily anxiety of the church's weighs upon me. Um, the daily pressure of the church's weighs, weighs upon me, different translations say. And so we are just a mix of ups and downs and seasons. And as you've written about, and as you've talked about already, I, I wonder, Scott, if you could Tell the listeners that maybe they saw this pop up in their podcast feed and it says something like emotional health and they're just like, oh my goodness, I need that. I, I so need help. Um, or maybe a pastor is listening who is just after the long uh, two years from the beginning of the pandemic 
maybe after a lot of difficulties amongst elders or congregants or losing friendships or whatever it may be, what, what word would you give to a brother or sister that's listening and is going through a weary season or circumstance right now? Well, the pastors, I, you know, because I am one and because you are one, uh, uh, I, I, I would want to um, state the fact that they're, they are not unusual and they are not alone. We are not unusual. We are not alone if we are struggling in our vocation after the two years, especially that we've just been through. I, I was just down in Atlanta doing something with the, the Barna folks um, about a month ago. And the latest statistic is that 38% of pastors in uh, North America have been looking for uh, a way out of, of the ministry. And um, that's how hard it's been. And, and so I would just want to legitimize the pain and, and to say, this, this is not because you have a small faith or because you don't that's trust right. God enough, or you're just not cut out to, to be a pastor. Um, I mean, you know, remember under stress, Peter ran for the Hills. Peter even betrayed the Lord, you know, and, and, um, you know, there's a certain point where we realize we, we may have reached a limit, uh, because it's been really, really hard. Uh, and then to people in general, which would include pastors and, 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 and anyone else, uh, who's, you know, been navigating the distress of the last couple of years, or even, you know, take the pandemic out of the picture. I mean, everybody hurts. Everybody is fighting a hard battle, no matter who you are. And some seasons it's excruciating, some seasons it's milder, but, but everybody's always, you know, experiencing the resistance that comes to us from the inside and from the outside as a result of living in a fallen world and in a fallen body. Um, I guess my encouragement would be um, to be a damaged person does not make you a useless person. And in, in, mm-hmm. in fact, you know, some of the greatest um, some of the greatest gifts to the world have come through people's distress. And the one thing that I would use as exhibit A for that is the Bible itself. Um, if you read through the Bible and you, you start to realize who the authors were, you realize that almost every single book in the Bible was written by somebody who, as they were writing the book, was a slave, uh, was being held in exile, uh, or, or their land had been occupied and their, their city or their country had been occupied by a hostile foreign uh, government. Uh, or they were in prison, i.e. the Apostle Paul's prison letters, or uh, the book of Revelation uh, written by John, um, or they were under persecution, or they were awaiting yeah. their death. Uh, yeah, I could go on and on. And the one, ha- you know, the one guy who had everything going for him was probably the least happy person of all the Bible writers, the writer of Ecclesiastes. And so um, maybe a few of the Proverbs were written by somebody who wasn't going through great suffering. But I think every other book in the Bible, uh, Jeff, was written from a place of deep distress and pain. And so what I'd want to do is is to point sinners and sufferers to, um, first, the sinners to 1 Timothy 1, where Paul talks about, you know, you think you're a sinner. I I think Paul can can raise you, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, he, he can raise the level of what it means to be a, a, a dirty, rotten sinner. And he, you know, he talks about how he'd been a blasphemer, a persecutor, persecutor and a violent man. But it was that knowledge and that awareness that he was able to speak so boldly and joyfully about the mercy of God. Um, and then Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 with this thorn in the flesh, we don't know what it was. We just knew it was really painful and distressful for him. And, and that's where God gets through to him to say, look, it, it, it's through your weakness, man. It, it's not when you put your best foot forward. It's actually when you put your worst foot forward that I'm going to do my very best work right. uh, in your life and through your life. And so I would say you never know who, who's looking. Uh, you always know that the Lord is looking in and, and taking pleasure in you. You always know there's a great cloud of witnesses, um, you know, that, that, that's invisible but no less there. Um, but you never know who's watching just that, just, just the, the taking that next step that doing that next faithful thing, um, you know, to pursue the vision of living fully in a tragic place could make so much more difference than you even realize. I mean, Spurgeon, every time to his last sermon, he walked up as he walked up into the pulpit, he, 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 he did so with, with, with self-doubt and anxiety every time. I mean, Spurgeon had to, you know, say out loud to himself as he walked into the pulpit. Yeah. We're talking about the Prince of Preachers. Um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the because he was so anxious and because he carried yeah. depression with him everywhere he went. Um, and and so you know, don't discount what God can do, um, or what God might actually be be doing that you don't even see. Uh, you know, I think of Isaiah, right? Like. Handel's Messiah is sung all over the world. That's based on his prophecy. He's the most quoted Old Testament prophet in the New Testament. And, and he never saw any of it. The guy was sawn in two, right? And, and yet this is the same guy who, who said, you know, who talks about the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and, and how the word of God never returns void and, 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 and you know, how the government will be on, you know, the Prince of Peace's shoulders and of the increase yeah. of his government and reign, there will be no end. Just everlasting momentum, as Ray Ortland says in his uh, marvelous commentary on Isaiah. Um, you know, like, like these guys, they, they saw something that, that God gave them to see um, that was more than meets the eye, right? And so we just never know what God is up to uh, in those seasons, but, but, but he's given us enough to trust him that he's up to something beautiful yeah i feel like we need to pass the offering plates or do an invitation i mean scott that was just so helpful to me personally and i i know it'll be to, to people listening as well so so uh brothers and sisters go and add uh beautiful people don't just happen there to your amazon and you want to go and, and pick that up i'm sure it'll be a, a benefit to your spiritual life and to your leadership and to your church uh to go and check out that resource from scott well, Scott, we'd like to end every episode of the Acts 29 podcast with three kind of speed lightning round questions. So first one, a great book you've read recently that you'd want to recommend. I'm actually reading it right now. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind uh, by Jonathan Haidt. And, and uh, if you find yourself confused about the confusion uh, that exists in the way that, that, that um the world seems to be thinking uh, right now and, and kind of dominant narratives and such out in the culture. It's a, it's a masterful uh, book, in my opinion, uh, to just help put things in categories and understand the history of what got us here um, with all the crazy making that we seem to be, you know, mm. swimming in every day. But, but that's a good one, uh, and I'm really appreciating it. 
Okay, great. So second one, you are in a coffee capital of the United States. When you go to maybe Crema or you're going to Frothy Monkey or who knows, Barista Parlor, what uh, what are you getting at a coffee shop there in Nashville? What's your go-to order? Just a cup of black coffee, man. Um, okay. I'm a simple guy. I, I actually, I, it's not because it's cheap. It's just because I, I actually enjoy a nice hot black cup of coffee more than anything else that the coffee shop has to offer so there you go perfect as long as you're not drinking Folgers at home <laughs> or at your church office we'll be okay we'll hey be no okay. condemnation for those who drink Folgers. <laughs> there we go we'll walk in the light with that okay la- last one uh what's your favorite verse uh, it could be you know of all time or up until this time or it could be right now uh in this moment uh what's your favorite verse yeah, I would. I mean, it's hard to narrow down, but I, I would say the one that moves me most, um, Jeff, is the the whole you know narrative in John four about the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and her encounter with Christ, and just the way that he draws out her dignity and um, you know restores uh, her sense of purpose in in a single conversation. I, I just find it to be beautiful on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is so captivating uh, in every chapter of John and all the gospels. But yeah, he he shines his his kindness and love shines so brightly, so brightly there. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the X-Men podcast. It's great to have you. Hey, what kind of guitar is that in your background before we go? Uh, Yeah. So that is a Larravee acoustic guitar hanging back there. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you're a legit guitarist if you got a (laughs) Larravee. (laughs) <laughs> I've had for a while. So, you know, I grew up as a typical Southern Baptist kid where you learn G, C, D, and E. And, you know, I got, I got pretty good and started doing more of that kind of stuff. Nice. And then there's a ukulele hanging in the back, too, that awesome. uh, we got for my wife. And I think she learned how to play Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And it's been hanging on the wall ever since. Yeah, she should take it on so, the road. So there we go. There we go. We'll, we'll bring it to Nashville. We'll see, we'll see how we do. Thank you, Scott. Today's show was edited and produced by Aaron Logan. A show prep and research was done by Renell Panero and Christy Britton. And I am your host, Jeff Metters. Remember, brothers and sisters, let's keep planting churches into the ends of the earth.